This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. I'll give you a minute to find your place. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, as Mary prayed in in her song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, May that that be true in our lives, Lord. May people look at us and see um, the magnificence of you as reflected in us, Lord. We pray as we're entering the Advent season, Lord, that um, this will be a special time for us to remember your birth and to remember the amazing gift of life through Jesus Christ that has been given to us. We remember those who have lost loved ones uh, in the last year or so and will be facing this season uh, without their loved one. Lord, that you would um, comfort them in a special way, that you would bring friends, family, and, and your spirit, Lord, to comfort them. We pray for them, Lord, that you would meet their needs in this season. We pray for the Christmas Eve service. We pray even now that the weather would be good that evening. We pray that uh, this would be an amazing outreach that uh, both for the Christmas Eve service and for the services leading up to Christmas, Lord, that many would come here and if it is your will, Lord, that they would hear about the gospel and understand what the birth of Christ truly means for them as a person. So we lift up this season to you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, this year, uh, during uh, the Christmas season, we're going to look at four Christmas songs 
in the gospel according to Luke. And uh, let me just tell you what they are. There's Mary's song, there's Zachariah's song, the angel's song, and Simeon's song. Those are the four that we're going to, we're going to take a look at. And we'll start with, with Mary, uh, the one and only pregnant teenage virgin. <laughs> that can be said about no one else in, in all of history. Uh, we'll start with her and her visit to her older relative, Elizabeth, who was uh, six months pregnant with her first child, who would, who, who would be called John known as John the Baptizer. So let's set up the scene of this song. Mary has arrived at Elizabeth's home, and she, she greets her. And upon her greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb is, is, is excited, and Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit. Before Pentecost, which, which is when the Holy Spirit um, began to permanently descend upon the disciples of Jesus uh, and indwell them, before that, the Holy Spirit would descend upon or fill one of God's people for a certain task or to speak certain words. Through the Holy Spirit... Elizabeth knows Mary is a blessed woman because she is pregnant with the Messiah. And obviously her baby is blessed because he's the favored one of God. She is then humbled by the fact that Mary has come to her, carrying her Lord in the womb, and then explains to Mary that, that her own baby leaped for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. Her next statement must have been so affirming to Mary in, in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, so Mary was trusting in this humanly impossible scenario, right? that, that a miraculous conception occurred within her, and now finds out that she is not only blessed to carry the Messiah in her womb, but also because she has faith that God would do what he said he would do. You know, we, we throw around the word blessed uh, quite a bit in our culture. We're blessed to have health, shelter, food, clothing, families, jobs, retirement, savings, vacations. Blessed to have your team win the Big Ten Championship. But to be blessed in this passage is to be chosen by God, used for his service, and to trust in his word for our lives. So when, when someone asks you if you're blessed, re remember this passage. Remember this passage. And, and don't go immediately to those other things that we think about blessing. Say, yes, I, I am blessed because I've, I've accepted Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm, I've been chosen by God from the foundation of the world. Or, yes, I, I am blessed because I, I serve him by 
by playing music on Sunday morning or ministering to students on Friday night or visiting shut-ins and reading scripture and praying with them during the week. Or maybe, yes, I'm blessed because I'm just, I'm just trusting in God's word right now in my life, even though it's hard. Elizabeth's response to Mary invokes, invokes praise in her heart, and a song overflows through her lips. It's known as the, the Magnificent, which is the Latin word for magnify. In, in the Latin Vulgate, it's, it's the first word in this song. We'll look at, at three elements that Mary's song reflects. The true view of salvation, the false view of salvation, and salvation is of the Lord. So let's look at this, this first line, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. These words that follow are Mary magnifying the Lord and, and rejoicing in God her Savior, as, this, as her opening line indicates in verse 46. It's, it's a song about how God worked in her life and how God works in general. Because of that, we see a beautiful song that reflects the salvation we can enjoy only in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the rest of this song and see that we too can have this initial reaction of Mary in her opening line, even though none of us are pregnant teenage virgins. But if you're saved by Christ and Christ alone, you can magnify the Lord like she did. So let's look at the true view of salvation. Verse 48 begins the reason why, or reasons why Mary's soul or spirit, that's just talking about her whole being, all of her, praises God. Verse 48. For, or because, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. The first thing regarding the true view of salvation is that God sees us. God sees us, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. It's, it's a big deal to be seen, and God sees us for who we really are. Mary sees herself as a sinner. We know that because she refers to God back in verse 47 as my Savior. Only sinners need saviors. Just like how only people in trouble need rescuing. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. None of us are righteous. Not even one. Not even Mary. 
This reality puts us in a humble estate, just like this young lady. We may be better than the next person, but we all fall short. God sees that, and it's only when we see that too that we begin to understand our humble estate, our, our helplessness, our great need. You know, most of us are not in the, the spotlights of the world. We are generally unseen, and to be seen in our world, we have to perform to a certain level, don't we? This is how people tend to view salvation as well. Most believe we have to perform to a certain level for God to notice us, to see us, and to accept us. If we, can just, if we can just do better, read the Bible more, not miss church as much, pray more earnestly, be, be a better husband, wife, father, mother, help more people in need. The list goes on and on. The, the reality of salvation is that we first need to see our lowly estate, not improve it. That's not the first step. The second reality of our salvation is found in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Despite our, our lowly, sinful state, mighty and holy God has done great things for us. Mary is talking about her miraculous pregnancy, but this also pictures the salvation that God has extended to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the high and exalted one, has humbled himself by coming to earth and adding humanity to his, to his divine nature in the womb of Mary. He was born and his state was perfect. God looked on him with approval and he died on the cross and suffered the punishment of our sins in order to offer us his perfect standing before God. The good news is that God sees our sinful state and compassionately acted by moving toward us with a rescue plan. Verse 50 tells us the basis of our salvation. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy. Undeserved. Because God sees our condition, his heart extends to what we need as sinners or rebels against God. Mercy. That's what we need. Mercy. But it's, but it's more than the idea that, that God just feels sorry for us and reluctantly has pity on us. In, in Matthew's gospel, we saw twice this fall in Matthew 9.13 and Matthew 12.7, how Jesus quoted from the prophet Hosea. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, God has a heart that is eager to pour out mercy on all who turn to him. 
He doesn't do it reluctantly. We could even say it comes most natural or easy to him. Mary sings that his mercy is for those who fear him. Now, fear can mean to be afraid, but it can also mean to have a high measure of reverence or respect. And with what we just looked at, that latter meaning fits best in this context. This fear is, is about faith or belief. When we understand our, our state, our lowly estate, and the great things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ by his mercy, we believe, and that is the reverence that Mary is talking about. That's the fear Mary is talking about. Trust is the greatest form of respect or reverence. We begin to look at God as we should with appreciation, admiration, amazement, adoration, affection. How could we not? Knowing our lowly estate and the great things he has done for us by his eager outpouring of mercy, how could we not look at him any other way? Let's move to the next point. The false view of salvation. The next part of Mary's song clearly highlights this false view. And we can boil it down to this. Trusting in ourselves instead of God. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Notice the contrast there between God and humans. Right? God is strong, but we can tend to think we're strong on our own. Hence the pride idea there. Now look at the next verse, 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. See, God can bring down people from their lofty views of themselves. And when that happens, it's often devastating for those people. Why? Their security is gone. What they are trusting in has vanished because it comes from within. But then look what he does. He exalts those who are cast down. Why? Because it's there they can see their need for something outside of themselves to trust in. We often think we can, we can save ourselves. Just look at the self-help section in a bookstore. We often think there's enough good in us or understanding that, that we can convince God that we're on his side. Those very thoughts in themselves condemn us because we're natural-born sinners. Trusting in our own righteousness is just as dirty as rolling in the mud of immorality. Consider the Pharisees. They were squeaky clean when it came to following the rules, being moral. 
but Jesus called them nicely painted graves. Nice on the outside, but rotten to the core. I love this next line in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God is ready to fill the one who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Do you, do you get that picture there? The, the hunger and thirst is because, because we realize that we don't have any of our own. We see our own true sinful state. God mercifully fills righteousness-hungry people. That, that's you and me, whether, whether you know it or not. We have no righteousness of our own. Our, our own righteousness is a counterfeit, so it's worthless. It won't buy our way into God's presence. God sees a counterfeit. can't be used as a substitute. Only God has the currency we need, and he mercifully gives it to the one who hungers for real righteousness that's only found through Jesus Christ. This the second half of verse 53, and the rich he has sent away empty. That reminds me of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Luke chapter 18. This, this wealthy young ruler comes to Jesus and desires to have eternal life. He asks, what do I need to do? You can see that he's, he's not looking outside himself for this salvation, but inside. <laughs> Right? We, it's, it's clear because he says, what do I need to do? There's, there's something that's, that I need to do that can secure this for me. And Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. Now, this, was Jesus, this wasn't Jesus' answer to, to this question, but this is a way that he's using to help this man see that he's looking in the wrong spot. Jesus starts with a few of the big commandments like, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder. But then he goes on to don't lie. Honor your father and your mother. The young man answers that he's kept all of these commandments from his youth. Really? Really? Not the answer Jesus was looking for. This man should have said, well, you know, I, I told a few lies. Like, who hasn't? And I've not honored mom and dad perfectly, I know that. So what do I do about that, Jesus? I haven't kept the, the, the law. He doesn't do that, though. Jesus continues to be patient with this young man and hits him with the first commandment about idolatry. Let me read it to you in Luke 18, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, 
Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. This man's blind spot was his idolatry. Newsflash, that's usually all of our blind spots as well. His wealth was his idol that he put before God. This request from Jesus caused this wealthy man. And we often attribute wealth with happiness. This wealthy man becomes very sad. This was the man's God. This was the man's identity. And Jesus is saying, leave it and come to me. He had much materially, but he went away empty. Just like in Mary's song. Riches are a blessing of the Lord, but they make a terrible God. And so do, so do other things like social status, athletic ability, beauty and body image, jobs, and even family and friends. Those things will always keep you hungering, no matter how much you consume. Your hunger and thirst are misdirected if you're trying to be filled with those things or anything else besides God. You cannot save yourself. Only God can save you, and the good news is that he wants to. But you must turn from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus. That leads us to our last point. Salvation is of the Lord. It's, it's important to remember that the Lord initiated our salvation. It, it's not because we were clever enough to figure it out. It's, it's that God had a plan to rescue us, and he took it all on himself. Let's look at the last two verses of this song, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now there's, there's lots of ways that remembrance of his mercy could be translated, but I think the ESV captures it best. The Lord helped his chosen people to recall that they were only his people by his mercy. God began to call out a people to himself with Abraham. And Mary is bringing us back to that Abrahamic covenant. When, when God made or cut the covenant with Abraham, he appeared to him after he had delivered Lot and the others from capture. And, and Abraham, at this time, would not accept the spoils from, from this rescue mission. And he wanted only what the Lord could give him. And this sets the stage for God making the covenant with Abraham. Abraham's like, I don't want to get rich on my own. I, all I want is God. See, Abraham had that hunger and thirst for righteousness too. God instructed Abraham then to cut up a number of animals in half and, and spread them apart, creating a bloody path. 
And this is how covenants were ratified or literally cut. Two rulers would walk this bloody path after the agreement was set, symbolizing that a break in this agreement meant a fate like one of these torn up animals. God walked that bloody path alone without Abraham making the covenant. Only God alone would be responsible for fulfilling this covenant, not Abraham. That meant if Abraham messed up, and he did from time to time, like all of us, that covenant remained because it was dependent only upon God. The same is true for us. Only God is responsible for fulfilling our salvation. He alone would secure it. It's, it's not a collaborative effort between us and God. God didn't sit us down and say, look, here's what we need to do together to make this plan of salvation work. No, he, he saw us. He had compassion and acted so that we could believe and be saved. Jesus was born to walk that bloody path of the cross because that's what was required. There had to be a judgment for sin, and Jesus took that judgment on the cross for us. God's mercy is for those who see their sin and their need to be saved from its judgment. It's a simple repentance, turning to him in faith. You can receive no greater gift in your life than this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for Mary's song that beautifully shows us what salvation is and isn't, and the beautiful fact that salvation is not from something that we do on our own or even partner with God with, but salvation is of the Lord. Thank you that our part is merely uh, realizing our lowly estate and turning from our own ways to the only way. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, if there's someone here who has just been trusting in themselves, maybe they have a belief in God, but they've been trusting in themselves for their salvation, thinking that they're good enough or, or smart enough, clever enough. Father, help them to repent of that. Help them to turn to Jesus Christ. Help them to simply go through these, these words that Mary's song teach us. That we're, that we're sinners. That we need a Savior. And we recognize that Savior is Jesus Christ. And that we accept Him as Savior. 
and that we're thankful. Father, I pray that someone would do that in, in their own words, in their own heart this morning, and come to Jesus for salvation. And Father, for, for us who have been walking with Jesus and following him, Lord, forgive us when we, when we begin trusting in ourselves. We're, we're all prone to these Pharisaic tendencies. We walk a certain way for a certain while, and we think, we're pretty good at this. Lord, forgive us for that. As we just took communion together, help us to remember that that's the reason why we're accepted by you, because of what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we rejoice in that through this Christmas season and through this life that you blessed us with. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.